0: Welcome back to the Writer's Show Podcast. I'm Jeff Hughes. On today's show, we're going to talk about the mysterious dark art of copywriting and self-employment as a freelancer. Now, to take us on this journey, I'm talking to Sarah Townsend, who has a best-selling book called Survival Skills for Freelancers. As a freelance copywriter for more than 20 years... Sarah Townsend helps purpose-led businesses discover the power of persuasive copy. In 2020, she published Survival Skills for Freelancers to help business owners around the globe tackle the day-to-day challenges of self-employment. Described as better than a business coach, the Amazon number one bestseller busts the myths about being your own boss to help you ace self-employment without burnout. She distills 20 years of experience into 200 unput-downable pages. Since then, Sarah has combined her copywriting work with delivering mentoring, training, and events to help a self-employed community tackle the ups and downs of freelance life. Let's talk to Sarah. Your new book, Survival Skills for Freelancers, distills your 20 years' experiences as a freelance copywriter. How did you get started?
1: Um, So I, yeah, gosh, so I sort of fell into marketing many years ago, feels like a lifetime ago. I was working for a financial services company and their marketing department relocated up from London. And I just always fancied the idea of working in marketing, even though I didn't have any training in it. I just figured it was something that I was drawn to. So I applied for a job with them and got that, worked with them for, I guess, three years And then they made a third of the marketing department redundant. And this was in the 1990s when they were offering really decent redundancy packages. So I applied for voluntary redundancy and went to work for the magazine publishing agency who were publishing my customer, our customer magazine for me. So that was what I was responsible for um, within the company. So I went and worked for them for three years as an account manager and an editor. And I absolutely loved my job, but then I became pregnant and I live in a city in the UK called Gloucester and I was working in a city in the UK called Bristol and I just didn't fancy the idea of having a baby in nursery up here in Gloucester while I was working in Bristol, I didn't want the commute anymore and I knew that I Mm. wanted to do something part time. So um, I decided at that point to go freelance and set myself up as a freelance. It was at the time a proofreader and an editor. And over the years, my career has kind of, my freelance career has adapted around uh, my children's growth and progress through school. So I started off very much part-time and very much um, worked up to be full-time and and busier than all the hours that I had available to me. And, um, yeah, that's, that's kind of the rest is history, really.
0: You've been very busy indeed. Um, the book, Survival Skills for Freelancers, because we want people to go out and buy it. <laughs> <laughs> your, your book has been described as not one of those books you read and pop on the shelf. It will be a desk companion that you keep popping back to for advice and inspiration. That's pretty high praise. That must be gratifying.
1: It's some of the reviews absolutely blow my mind. One of my absolute favorites, which even probably almost a year after um, the guy left it, a fellow copywriter read it and said, it's so refreshing to read a book that um is written by an actual copywriter rather rather than an author and um who knows the the way to get the message from the page to the brain with the least resistance and I thought that was just fantastic and I've had what really means a lot to me is people saying that they've grown in confidence as a result of reading the book so in some cases it's people who have wanted to go uh, self-employed for years but haven't had the confidence and the fact that the book has given them the confidence to take that leap into self-employment that's really um, important to me that that means a lot and I get a lot of emails and direct messages through social media with people saying your book has empowered me to do this and to grasp these opportunities that I never had the confidence to grasp before and even people who have been self-employed for a very long time I think I've got a review from somebody who's been self-employed for 24 years it does make you wonder why they bought the book in the first place but <laughs> um yeah so it, the, the, the feedback that I've had for it really shows that it's resonated. There's something in the way I've written it that's really touched people, and that means a lot.
0: Well, as they say, it's all about timing, and certainly with COVID, a book about freelancing it seems to have hit the spot.
1: Yeah, I think that was that was pure. Ch- Chance, I I got the idea for the book at the start of 2020 in January. I hadn't even thought about it at Christmas the previous year. So it all happened very quickly for me. I'd I'd been one of those people who had always said, I'll never write a book. You know, everybody says, oh, everyone's got a book in them. I was quite adamant that I'd never write a book because I'm a writer for a living. So I didn't want the idea of spending all my spare time writing as well as all my days, even though I love it and it just sort of happened um i felt a real strong calling to write it and and really to 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 produce a book that speaks really honestly and truthfully about the reality of self employment because there are a lot of things that we don't talk about and i don't think we help one another by pretending that everything is unicorns and rainbows. And um, I think the the nice thing is that once you know the coping strategies for the challenges of self-employment, self-employment can be brilliant, absolutely brilliant. It's just that we often don't know how to deal with those things like when we should say no to work and how you know how on earth do we know what to charge and um how do we deal with the isolation and the self-doubt and the imposter syndrome and those things that creep in so yeah it just feels like it's it's really touched a chord with people but I'd written the first draft before COVID was even a thing so it just was coincidental timing
0: how long did it take you to uh write the entire book
1: Um, I'd say to get to the first draft from the, just from the seed of the idea was practically two months. I think I'd sent out the, I'd sent out the draft manuscript to my sort of cheerleading team, you know, my beta readers, um, by the end of February. And as I say, I only had the idea in January and I didn't spend the whole of January writing because I did have the idea of wanting to phone around and speak to other people I knew who had self-published to kind of pick their brains and ask them what was one thing that they'd learned throughout the process of self-publishing that they would have loved to have known at the start and that was a really important step for me because that that was really what gave me the confidence speaking to these people and them all saying oh you know you have to write a book like it'll be brilliant and and you know it'll be really popular and this kind of thing so obviously that was my sort of that was my research stage I suppose to a certain degree and getting all that encouragement from people who'd read the blog post that inspired the book was really important in the process for me.
0: Copywriting's a bit of a misunderstood art form I think most people outside the industry wouldn't understand what it was and yet it's all around us what do you love mm. about copywriting?
1: Um the fact that we get to teach and persuade people with the power of words I've always loved the power of language and I find the way that language develops is absolutely fascinating I, I know a lot of people are kind of uh shocked and 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 dismayed at what they consider to be falling standards of English whereas in many cases I think it's just natural language development it's always happened and it always will um and yeah i think with with copywriting we get to um we get to persuade people and to k- encourage them to see things differently um and that's that's part of the skill really i feel like It's something that a lot of people don't realize that they need as well, because we all think, well, okay, I I learned to write at school. (laughs) I did a qualification in writing at the end of my school because it's compulsory. But that is not the same as copywriting, writing to be persuasive and to change people's way of thinking is a very different skill set and writing digital for digital marketing so online website copy for example that's different again so I would always encourage business owners to consider using a copywriter to write their own website because yes they know their business better than anybody else but a copywriter will be able to identify and refine and articulate the things about your business that you should be saying and to identify the things that you need to leave out because it's too much information it's not relevant it's not helping to persuade the customer to see your business as the one to select and, and to work with so it's really important stuff it is an important skill in, in in being persuasive, I think it's just, just as important in knowing what to leave out as, as what to what to put in. And and I think what people often forget is that they think, oh, we need to get all the facts across. It's not actually to do with how much information you provide. It's more to do with how persuasive you are, how compelling you are, how well you tell the story of that business yep. and what that business yeah. does to support its customers and its clients and the problems that that business solves. And it's often to do with emotion and creating an emotional response in the reader rather than just, I mean, a lot of people who aren't even involved in marketing know about the fact that we should talk about benefits, not features, which is um, quite an important thing in marketing. But over and above that, A copywriter is looking to make an emotional connection with your reader. And that is how relationships are formed, because we buy on the basis of logic, but also importantly, on the basis of emotion. So if you think about the last buying decision that you made, you probably made it because that brand or that product felt a little bit more luxurious or a little bit more special or it sort of spoke to you. I I love this quote. This is a slight tangent, but it's kind of the same thing. I love this quote from Nelson Mandela. He said, if you talk to a man in a language he understands, that goes to his head. If you talk to a man using his language, that goes to his heart. And that's why it's so important to understand, to really get a deep understanding under the skin of of your target customer. Because the more you understand the day-to-day challenges and the day-to-day pains that they face as an individual, because we quite often think, oh, I'm a business-to-business sort of company, or I'm a business-to-consumer company. But ultimately, we are all writing human-to-human as a business, you are trying to address the individual humans who are going to be reading your copy, your website, your blog posts, whatever. And you're trying to make a one-to-one connection with that person. So it, it really helps to address your audience as you and try to make a direct connection with them. Rather than saying, our customers like our service and this kind of thing. That's that's creating... It's, it's like using jargon and business speak, it, it creates more of a barrier, a hurdle to making a a close connection with your potential customer. And the more you can cut out that nonsense kind of business speak that really nobody, nobody speaks like that in real life. So I, I always say, be more human and be less robot. Because there are these phrases like um, we would like to apologize for any inconvenience caused. How many times a day do we there's a door? I, I work at the lounge bar at my gym. That's what I call my second office. And there's a door to the, the. Um, I guess what they call it is the address. Adult lounge, so it's supposed to be a quiet area where people quite often work with their laptops. I prefer working in the busy, buzzy kind of central environment as long as I've got headphones. But there's a sliding door that won't shut at the moment, and they have a sign on it that says, "Please don't close this door. We apologise for any inconvenience caused." (laughs) Kind of like you didn't even think before writing that. It's just it's like a knee-jerk reaction, isn't it? You don't really think about what message we're trying to convey there are certain cliched turns of phrase that we just churn out without thinking and it does it does think
0: what's your advice then for writing clearly and economically two traits that all great copy has
1: i would say keep your audience in mind at all times and and as most good broadcasters would say Imagine that you're writing to just one person. Don't imagine that you're addressing a client base or potential clients in their thousands. And don't use kind of you as the collective. Use you as the individual. So stop talking so much about yourself as a business. Stop being so wee, wee, wee. And um, start focusing really directly on the problems that you solve for your clients and what they get out of a relationship with you. I always think something that is very important in copywriting is remembering to show, don't tell. That's a really important thing because too many businesses, they'll say, oh, we were established in 1980 and we are the premier supplier of kitchen doors while we're on the subject of doors, whatever it is. But actually what your clients want to know and your customers want to know is how do you make their how do you make their day different? What outcome do you provide? How do you you solve a problem for them in a really simple, straightforward way? So rather than saying we pride ourselves on our excellent customer service, again, that's something that we've read tons of times. It almost, we almost become immune to it. We just kind of gloss over it as we, we perhaps read it as a collective phrase that we know that it, It's supposed to represent something, but it doesn't touch us. Whereas if you show your customers using your language or get a copywriter to do it properly for you, the You really understand what they're going through and you really understand the challenges and the problems that they're facing on a day to day basis. And this is how you make their life easier. This is how you solve their problems. This is what they get out of working with you or buying your product or hiring your services. Be super clear. Be focused on your customer. Always look back over your sentence, anything you've written, even in emails. In fact, especially in emails, because we're all so, so busy. The the more concise and, and clearer you can be in an email, the better. So always go back, read your sentences, take out any unnecessary words like, just really and very so if you say oh we're really good at this well instead of saying really good say great you know so replace those words that can be replaced with something simpler take out the unnecessary words I do it with my own writing we all naturally edit to a certain degree and the the more harshly I guess you can be a critic of your own writing the better the outcome so even when I write an email even though I've been a copywriter for gosh probably close to 30 years now I still go back over what I've written and rewrite my sentence to be as economical as clear and concise as possible
0: Uh, a book I have on my desk um you may have read it by uh, Roy Peter Clark. How to write short, and oh, it's it it, it it it's marvelous. I picked it up in an airport somewhere for a quick read, and it's <laughs> the copy I'm looking at now. It's very well thumbed, but it's just how to get to the point in writing in any medium, um, whether it's Twitter, whether it's a blog, just how to cut the crap. So. Highly recommended that one.
1: Perfect, sounds brilliant. I'll, I'll certainly check that out. And I think you mentioned Twitter there. I actually think that when Twitter moved from one hundred and forty characters to two hundred and eighty, it was actually a bit of a disappointment to me because I, I think agree. so disciplined. It's a real skill, isn't it? Writing yeah. nice copy that grabs attention for social media because we all need to do it because. The, the, the half-life of a social media post. I read a post about this once, actually, and, and just how long a post stays in the feed. I personally have noticed that LinkedIn is incredible for the longevity of posts, uh, whereas Twitter, it's it feels like a split second, doesn't it? So you really have to grasp people's attention. But I, I loved having to be that disciplined that you had to fit your writing into 140 characters. And if you couldn't get your message across within that... Number of characters and that that limit, you really needed to go back to the drawing board and rethink what you were trying to say and how how could you make it more economical. But um, yes, it's it's really important scale. I um I
0: I think they should bring
1: the limit back. I mean, Twitter
0: was much more entertaining.
1: <laughs> it was, yeah, it was. What advice
0: would you give to writers who are considering branching into copywriting?
1: Um. Well. I would say certainly learn from those who've been there and done that before you. So um, find find people who you can look up to, kind of uh, experts in their field, I guess, on social media and start by following them and kind of absorbing what they have to say. Do tons of reading. I mean, familiarize yourself with as many different forms of copywriting as you can say from advertising copy to um i guess writing for packaging that sort of thing website copy and start to get a feel for the sort of copy that you feel perhaps naturally drawn to um, read as much as you can in terms of books about copywriting blogs about copywriting as i say follow those experts i think that's a real a really important way to to learn look at how other people do it maybe set yourself a couple of target um, projects perhaps if you you t- take a piece of work that you've seen someone else has done and you don't think they've done it particularly well and have a go at rewriting it yourself and then perhaps read a couple of books on the craft and then try to improve your writing on the basis of what you've read but just to always keep trying, keep improving, keep watching the market, look for emerging trends, follow those experts. Um, yeah, I mean that 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 would all be good advice to to follow if you're fast starting thinking about getting into copywriting.
0: That's great advice. Talking about self-publishing, which is a topic close to my heart, um, you've <laughs> self-published this book. What have have you learned about the self-publishing process on this project?
1: Oh, my gosh. It's just... I mean, you'll know this better than anybody. It's just the biggest learning curve, isn't it? I went into the process knowing absolutely nothing about KDP and ACX and Amazon and Audible and goodness knows what. So to me, it felt more like a vertical than a learning curve. I learned so much so quickly. It was a very accelerated process. And people say to me, would you write another book? And I have to say, never say never, because part of the pain really of going through the self-publishing process was learning finding my way through the the self-publishing maze and getting the right support from the right people so obviously i'm an editor by trade so i didn't um hire somebody to edit the book i got it copy edited at the very very end um before getting it proofread but just the process of Buying the ISBNs and the barcodes and cover design and landing pages and promotions and marketing and PR and getting it laid out. And oh my gosh, it is a minefield. So ask experts, get advice, speak to Jeff. Um, it sounds like it's what you do, and it it really is important to get the right people on your side because it is. It particularly if like me you're trying to learn to write and publish a book when you've never done it before and you're trying to do that on top of the day job because it's a really big challenge to do that it's a big topic
0: and yeah um, it certainly is one one thing i admire about your experience is um the reviews you've got reviews are pretty essential part of the indie publishing process as you sure. know no no reviews no social proof no sales mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yet you've managed to achieve 350 reviews in a year which is insane that's incredible yeah. What, yeah. What, what was your strategy to get so many reviews
1: oh gosh oh do you know what it it, it, it still gives me goosebumps i know people who've gone through that i mean uh, probably all of the people whose brains I picked at the start of a process to ask what they learn from the self-publishing process if I look back at their books they are maybe two three three years down the line and they still don't have as many reviews I mean they maybe don't even have 50% of the number of reviews that I have um, and I think really a lot of it was to do with really focusing on making personal connections with people and I know this sounds like hard work and time consuming. And it is. And ironically, the subtitle of the book is um, Tried and Tested um, Tips to Ace Self-Employment Without Burnout, because it's very much got a focus on the the right mindset and avoiding the stress and overwhelm and burnout that can come with self-employment. And ironically, I kind of just threw myself so full on into the process of promoting the book and trying to spread the word that I don't know how I didn't fully burn out at that point. I think I was just still riding on a journaling, you know what it's like. So I I asked people and I thought that that was a really important part of the process. I knew it meant swallowing my pride a little bit and going outside my comfort zone. And we don't really like, make it, it feels a bit cringeworthy and a bit uncomfortable to have to say to somebody, would you mind leaving a review for me? Because it actually really means a lot to me. I mean, I think it means a lot to any author, but particularly when you're an indie author and you're doing all the work yourself, you're doing all the publicity, all the marketing. Um, I even got the book featured in Forbes and I, I've done it all myself. So it really was just by I'm a big fan of voice notes. They feel like they fit with me very naturally. I'm quite a chatty person, as you can tell. And um, (laughs) if somebody was kind enough to leave a post on their social media, I would drop them a voice note. And I'd obviously put a comment on the post and quite often share the post, particularly if it was on Twitter. I'd retweet anybody who said anything nice about the book and I've got a lot of followers, almost 8,000 on Twitter. So for them, if people picked up on the fact that I was retweeting, I guess that's putting them into a wider audience. So it's kind of a win-win, but I would always then drop them a personalized message and say, it really did mean a lot to me. I would really appreciate it so much if you'd take a moment to leave a review on Amazon, because it helps me to reach and to support more freelancers and more entrepreneurs. And um, most people. We're like sure, yeah, I'd love to help, and I think you know we 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 feel as if we're inconveniencing people by asking, but actually, people do if they are bought into something already, if they're already in love with the book and saying, you know, gosh, I'm keeping this book on my desk because I want to dip into it every few moments um, to remind myself of the wisdom on what to charge or how to deal with negative self talk or whatever it may be. So they're already supportive, they're already a fan. So asking a fan to support you in another way is just, it feels like a no-brainer. So, yeah, really, it was just in a lot of cases through asking people.
0: It's a personal touch always, isn't it? Like, um... For
1: sure, yeah. And people, people, just, uh, people just underestimate the power of that so much because it is all relationships and our audience, our readers are all people. And if they've already felt that connection with us, it, it's so important to... Oh gosh, I can't think of an appropriate word really. I was going to say it's important to capitalize on that, but obviously not not on the most not on the most basic re, basic meaning of the word capitalize. But yeah. it's just important to make the most of those connections and um, yeah, really help to get them on board. Encourage encourage them to, as a fan already, encourage them to sign up for your email updates or yeah. or whatever. Because then, if you kind of perhaps. <laughs> further down the line, as I'm working on now, I'm working on course content, then I will know that those people are the people who will be interested in my course content, because they're already super fans.
0: Yeah, that you've already pre qualified them for your course.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Now now that you've self published, what's the one thing that you do differently on your next book?
1: Oh, wow, that is a big question, because there's probably a lot I would do differently. I mean, really, for me, it's, it's, knowing how the process works is just gold dust. I mean, maybe I'll write a book about, about about how to write a best selling Amazon book. I don't know, (laughs) but um, I I just think taking, taking into account all the stuff that I learned from the process last time, it's a bit of a cop-out answer, but there's so much time I can save now by, by knowing that. I mean, I, nobody told me to begin with for example that when you buy I'm not sure what the situation is in Australia do you have to get ISBNs in the same way as we do in the UK?
0: Yeah we do there's a uh, organ- organization in Melbourne called BALCA I think they're US right. affiliated so you buy your, your ISDN through them.
1: Yeah so um, so in the UK um, there's an organization called New And you buy your ISBN through them and you buy your barcode through them. And nobody said to me, you'll need a separate ISBN for your Kindle book and for your paperback. And they sell the ISBNs individually for about 89 US, uh, sorry, 89 um, UK pounds. And um, couldn't think of my currency. <laughs> and but they sell a pack of ten for something like 119. So I'm naturally a bit of a bargain queen. So for me, I can't not buy the cheaper version, even if I had no, at, at the point of writing, I had no intention of ever writing another book again. But I thought, well, I I, I can't not pay an extra 20 bucks for for nine more isbn's it's just it just doesn't make any um economic sense so i bought the larger pack and then i was so glad i did because someone said oh yeah i need the isbn for your kindle version i said oh i didn't even realize you needed a different version so yeah i was really glad i did that that that's a good little tip to share
0: well um i think that could be your next book
1: How to get 350 reviews in a year. (laughs) Yes. And of course, that's just on Amazon because there are extra reviews on Goodreads. And to be perfectly truthful, I'm a little scared of Goodreads. I know it's also owned by Amazon. And it's funny to me because I released the the audiobook version of Survival Skills for Freelancers about two months, three months ago, because I couldn't record it during lockdown because the studios were closed, the sound guys weren't working, etc. So I had to have a real big delay. But that means that the Audible version of the book only has something like 10 reviews, because it's owned by amazon but they use a completely different review system so um yeah i've been trying to encourage people who are who are listening to the audible version now to to leave their reviews as well because that's important as well
0: did you narrate um the audible version yourself
1: yeah i did it felt like the right thing to do because the book is based on such a personal story and some of the information is very hot on your sleeve it's very reality check and it's very much based on my own experiences good and bad and a lot of the mistakes that I've made along the way so that other people can bypass those mistakes and and become successful more quickly and more efficiently so yeah for me it felt very natural to be narrating it myself
0: of course being a freelancer means using your time efficiently I've, I've been a freelancer myself since 2013 being efficient is something I've learned the hard way What's yeah. what's your advice on time management for freelancers? I know it's a big Very subject,
1: but yeah, it is a big subject. And and it's funny because these individual subjects that affect freelancers are things that I could talk about All day long. So I sometimes have to pause to think, how can I do this in a bite-sized format? So I would say uh, learning to be efficient is partly to do with knowing your own strengths and the times of day that you know you're at your most productive. So for me as a writer, I know that I get a lot of my writing done first thing in the morning, and then there's quite often a period when I'm not supposed to be working. But if I take a break in the middle of the day, so um, my mum has been in hospital recently, so I've been having to take time out to visit her in hospital. So that's meant um, missing whole afternoons of work. And sometimes to catch up, I've needed to work into the early evening, and I find that I'm actually really productive that time of day. When I'm less productive is early afternoon, and I tend to have a bit of an energy slump then. But I know that I get my energy from people, and quite extrovert at least on the surface. And I prefer to schedule my Zoom calls for early afternoon because. If I've had a productive morning of writing and getting tasks done, then I might be starting to flag by just after lunch. So I'll make yeah. sure I'll make myself a decent, healthy lunch, because that's important, too. I'm not always naturally the best at looking after myself and remembering to take breaks, to eat and exercise. So because I know that I need an energy boost in the afternoon, I'll book my Zoom calls then, and then I'll become energized by talking to people, and then that will fire me up to be more productive and more focused for the rest of the afternoon. So also another thing that's super important is to remember to build in these breaks, activity breaks. So I always recommend taking a decent break in, in your day, every day, however busy you are. And it feels like a paradox that when you are really busy, you feel like, oh gosh, I haven't got time to exercise. But actually, even if you take a break and go for a walk around the block, or you're a keen cyclist and you get out on your bike for half an hour, or you go and lift some weights or something like this, it gives you that focus break away from what you're working on it gives you a fresh perspective i mean i i must i swim a lot i swim three times a week first thing in the morning so that's how i get my productivity up on those days of the week and when i start work after a swim I quite often find that if I've been struggling with what to call something, for example, I'm struggling with getting clear on a concept for something perhaps to do with my own marketing or the courses that I'm developing. And I'll be swimming and not intentionally thinking of anything particular, but I will solve those problems because my brain is free to act in a different way. So because I'm exercising, it releases the endorphins and the, the happy hormones that really help you to... Boost creativity. So often having those exercise breaks and that time out of your day to do something physical is a really positive thing because it does help you return to your laptop with renewed focus and a fresh perspective and just a different way of looking at things. So, um, yeah, getting exercise in your day and just not just a one off, oh, hey, I'm going to take an hour out and do a gym class, but regular breaks away from your laptop stand up stretch stick the kettle on dance around your kitchen while you're waiting for the kettle. <laughs> or just put some uh, I quite often say when I'm on um, events I say use the Pomodoro technique I don't know if you're familiar with, oh, uh,
0: I, I use it myself I, I'm a I'm a big believer in it
1: it's fantastic. It's a super for anybody who doesn't know, it's a tried and tested productivity tip that breaks your day down into manageable chunks of time on the basis that anybody can focus for 25 minutes at a time. So you switch off all distractions, you let the uh voicemail get the phone if it rings, you switch your phone onto airplane, do not disturb, whatever you call it, and you focus on the task in hand for 25 minutes. And when the timer goes off, you take an intentional five-minute break. So there are plenty of apps out there. I use an app um, here in the UK called Focus Keeper. I don't know whether you have it in uh, where you are, but I would say look up a Pomodoro app because they will time not only the 25 minutes, but also the five-minute break that follows. Yeah. Yeah. And then it will tell you to get back to work. It gives you a little polite nudge. Okay, back to it. Next 25-minute stint is up. And I often say use those five-minute breaks to get some of your housework done. So those chores that you find waiting for you at the end of the day when you've been working freelance and your heart sinks and you think, oh gosh, come on, man. I've been, I've been working all day and now I've got to do the washing and unload the dishwasher and do the ironing or whatever it is. So I often say while you you're waiting for the kettle to boil, unload the dishwasher, stick on a yeah, wash, exactly. fold the linen, you know, whatever whatever it is, get your chores done in your five minute breaks, and it's incredible just how much you can get done in an intentional five minute break.
0: Oh yeah, I I I, I bore many people with um, talking enthusiastically about the um, Pomodoro technique. The one I <laughs> the app I use is Be Focused. I just. Uh, I had to click on it to tell you.
1: <laughs> sounds like a sounds like a similar thing. It's yeah. they're great. I mean it's such a it's such an effective model. And and um also it's worth mentioning that after the fourth 25 minute stint of work you are supposed to take a longer break so like a 20 yeah. minute break and that would be when you could go outside get a walk around the block yeah. um and just make time for exercise make time to make yourself some healthy food a healthy soup or whatever it is that floats your boat just um get outside get some fresh air get some exercise and return to your laptop mm. with a renewed focus and renewed productivity so important
0: Oh, it's, it's very important for mental health. And of course, you're a mental health advocate and Absolutely. a mentor for freelancers. Tell me a bit, bit about that.
1: Um, yeah. So, really, when I, so a I, bit of backstory, I just thought I'd write a book, publish a book, and go back to the day job, and my life would be unaffected. And it has turned my life upside down. So, obviously, I'm still doing the freelance copywriting um, which is still my love and um, still inspires me daily I'm doing less of it because I have less time Um, over the past year I've taken part in over a hundred live events and podcast interviews just helping to spread the word about why Prioritizing your mental health and well being when you are self employed is so vital because yes. it's yes. really easy if you don't know how to. Deal with these the challenges, the eight myths that I dispel in the book. Um, the myths of self-employment. No, you know, going solo doesn't mean going it alone. We all need connection and um community around us and to to help us deal with the isolation, for example. But if we don't prioritize our mental well-being, it's easy for day-to-day stress to become overwhelm and for overwhelm to become burnout. And if you crash and burn as a business owner an entrepreneur or a freelancer, whatever you want to call yourself, you have no business left because you are your business. So it's not good for you. It's not good for you financially. You're not going to be earning anything unless you have some very expensive insurance. So it's vital to uh, be able to prioritize those things, taking breaks, setting boundaries, saying no when you need to, and building in time to exercise, to take care of you. And I'm talking about self-care, I'm not talking about um, bubble baths with candles. I mean, obviously that's nice too, but really focusing on incorporating the things that the other things that you love to do obviously, as freelancers, we quite often become freelance because we have this special skill that we want to share with the world. And it's the thing that we love to do. And particularly in the creative sphere, a lot of freelancers don't know when to stop, because we get in the flow of doing this thing that we love, whether it's writing, design, illustration, whatever it is. And We realize, I mean, this is the thing with me. I mentioned earlier, I'm not always the best at looking after myself. So I quite often will get in the flow of what I'm doing and I'll get to three o'clock and I'll think, oh gosh. I've been so fixated on finishing writing this website that I've actually completely forgotten to eat. So (laughs) that for me is a bit of an ongoing problem. So making time to prioritize the other things that inspire you, taking time off is so important to recharge your batteries. And Lamotte said, almost anything will work if you switch it off and back on again, even you. I can't remember, that's not word for word, it's something along those lines. That's
0: a great question.
1: Take a break, switch off, switch back on again, just reboot, take time to reboot. It is so, so important. You can't possibly do your best work if you are not taking care of you. So yeah over the past year it's just really become important to me. I've had my own mental health challenges throughout my life really and and certainly throughout my freelance career. Yeah. So I felt that when I started as a freelancer I was juggling learning to run a business with learning to be a mum for the first time and I knew nothing about either of those things. And back then this is 1999. Think back, there was no, there was no internet. There was certainly no social media. There was very little internet. I certainly didn't have it on my computer. And it doesn't look how it does to us now. So I had no support. I knew nothing about being freelance. And I tried to find books that would help me become a, a, a freelance A female founder, a female business owner, entrepreneur, whatever you want to call it. And there was nothing that spoke to me in my language as a 20 something year old woman starting out and and, and not wanting my business to be the be all and end all at that period of my life because I was also being a mum. So I really set out to, to write a book that would help people feel that they have that support. Um, in their lives so the support to uh, feel confident and to feel empowered and to to take the opportunities that are going to help them to grow as an individual and a business owner and I really didn't have that support and I learned everything I learned as a freelancer the hard way and it took me blooming years to get good at this stuff and I don't want other people to have to go through that I want other people to be able to become successful a lot more quickly than I did and with a lot fewer mistakes so bypass the mistakes that I made along the way by learning from my experience and yeah so for me it just became a natural progression to start talking about freelance and mental health and well-being, and I've actually been shortlisted for an award. We have here in the UK the Association for the Independent Professional and the Self-Employed (IPSE), and every year they do an annual awards ceremony that celebrates the freelancers of the year. And I've actually been shortlisted in the mental health and well-being category, or the well-being category. congratulations fantastic thank you thank you but i'm feeling really nervous about it because the award ceremony is next week and it's down in london it'll be the first time i've been to london since the lockdown last march here in the uk and um I'm not going to lie. I would love to win. I would, at, so many people are just going, oh, it's just an honor to be shortlisted, which of course it is an honor to be shortlisted, but I've given so much of my time and energy to spreading the word about this. And I've not been paid for any of it. So um, all the podcasts, interviews that I've recorded, it's helping to spread the word. It's piggybacking onto other people's audiences and hopefully to reach and support more people. But obviously that doesn't pay and it takes time out of my earning potential. So it would be lovely to get the recognition for for that, I must must admit. But as long, I mean, the the reward for me is really the fact that I'm making a difference to people's lives in such an important cause.
0: You've certainly hit a note with this book. And um, as we spoke before, um, it's been timely in this time of covid uh, people reassessing their employment choices and looking at embracing the freelancer's life. Yeah, you, you've you've hit it at the right time. What's next for Sarah Townsend?
1: Well because I've been doing so much of the I've been doing live events I'm doing a live event tomorrow actually for mental health first aid um, here in the UK and I recently trained as a mental health first aider because that was something that was important for me to do and I'm now training their trainers to help them address some of the mindset issues and challenges of self employment and there are going to be something like 200 people there on this uh, training course so I'm trying To do more of that sort of thing, I'm doing more of the mentoring. Uh, I'm involved in a a government scheme here in the UK. I'm also doing private one to one mentoring to support creative uh, freelancers and and, um, female founders. And um, I'm starting to think I'm actually getting some support and um, paying a strategist to help me decide where my business goes next. Because for me, it feels like everything's in a snow globe. It's all been shaken up. And it's all in the process of recalibrating. So I don't really know what the future looks like. But it's going to involve more perhaps training products that I can support people in more detail. So perhaps with a bit of a companion course to the book that goes into more detail and has live sessions with me and perhaps a bit of a cohort kind of group training feel to it so people benefit from the experience of others as well as from the experience of of me. Um, And, yeah, they're going to be kind of bite-sized courses that you can invest in and um, various different products that, um, that people can can choose to focus on the the challenge that they identify as being the biggest thing that keeps them stuck in their freelance or, or entrepreneurial business.
0: Well, sounds like you're going to be busy. Um,
1: <laughs> Always. I, I,
0: I, I wish I'd found a book like yours when I started down this road. Yeah, a good book. It's um, Highly recommended. Where can listeners find out more about survival skills for freelancers?
1: I'd say anybody who's listening to this this podcast who wants to connect with me in any way, if you want to connect with me on social, if you want to read more about the book, if you want a link to buy the book... Um, If you would like a link to my copywriting website, start by going to survivalskillsforfreelancers.com. That contains information, um, some testimonials about the book, more information about what's covered. It gives you the ability to sign up for my mailing list, and that's the best way to keep in contact with me on an ongoing basis. But do connect with me on social as well. I'm most active on, I would say, LinkedIn and Instagram. And um, if you do connect with me through um, listening to to me talk on Jeff's podcast here, then do drop me a personalised note just so I know where you've come from because I love to know how people find me. It's always really important to know that.
0: Fantastic. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Sarah. It's been wonderful talking to you. And, of course, um, there will be show notes on, on our website for all this information as well.
1: Lovely. It's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you.
0: That was author Sarah Townsend. If you're a freelancer or considering becoming one, I highly recommend Sarah's book, Survival Skills for Freelancers. You can buy the book direct from survivalskillsforfreelancers.com. To get in touch with Sarah, visit her website at sarahtownsendeditorial.co.uk. Of course, you can check out our show notes page for this episode of the podcast at www.thewritershow.com. Yep, we've got a shorter domain You'll find all of Sarah's contact information and book links right there That's it for me till next time Thanks for listening